people that aren't in sales uh, positions or some people that even are in sales positions but are not comfortable with it, um, you tend to hear a lot of disparaging comments about sales. Um, you know, there's, there's a negative stigmatisms associated with, and I understand where some of them come from. You know, the reality is, is that everybody sells. Your pastor sells. Your pastor is trying to raise money for the church. You can't do that without selling. Your pastor is trying to sell people. I hate to use the word, but he's trying to, trying to convince, trying to open people up in their mind and in their hearts to the word of God, right? And becoming more faithful uh, for themselves, their family, their community. And there's, that's a form of selling that's going on. Let's go! You are listening to The Heath Fluids Podcast. And we're having candid and actionable conversations about your health, relationships, business, and ministry. And now here's your host, the Second Chance Coachman, Michael David Huey. Welcome to another session of the Heath Fluids Podcast. It's super, super sunny day here in Florida, and I played golf today. And uh, I know that my guest today likes to play golf. I know that uh, he enjoys that. I, I don't know when he fits it in, but I, 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 he says he doesn't. But um, I, I, um, if you haven't been on Clubhouse, you really probably um, have You've probably been under a rock, I'm guessing, maybe. But I have my wife and I talk about this a lot. My wife's been gone for she comes home tomorrow. She's been gone for 10 days. Her father's had some health issues. Uh, and um, I have a lot of people that um, I, I, I respect. And I think my guests today I respect because he's very consistent. What I find in life is people, some people are either really up or they're really down. But what I see with David is consistency consistency in his message, consistency in who he is. Um, I would use this word for him. And I saw, I, I can't remember what platform I saw it on. It was because I always look, I always research David. So I feel like I know him before I interview him. And when I hear him talk, I just know that he has a servant's heart. His, his life is about serving. Like we were talking before when we got on here about people always saying to him, you know, Grant Cardone and Brian Benstock and Jay Abraham, and all these people um, who I've heard speak live. One of, one of my favorite things to do, my wife and I, we've been in a couple masterminds um, and, and I've got a chance with my friend Cole Hatter to be around Jay, to be around uh, Grant, to be around people. And one of the people that they were all close with that I never knew was David. And so when, when, Face, when uh, Clubhouse started and I started hearing David talk, and then I started hearing, hearing Brian Benstock talk about him. And then I started hearing Glenn talk about him. And then him and Jay Lissa started doing some rooms together. And I literally just went in and sit and listened, right? Because I, I believe it, it's when you listen to somebody and the difference between wisdom and knowledge is action. So what you do is, is you listen and then you take action, right? And some of the things I've learned, and I'll, and I'll be transparent, um, I, I wasn't great at sales. And um, I wasn't great at sales because when I was in my brick and mortar fitness business, David, I had a waiting list of six months and people just came in when one person would go away. Another person would come in. I say, what do you want to work with me? Six months or a year. And I just sign them up. Right. And, and my wife would say, well, that's sales, honey. That's sales. Right. You got to at least take them through some type of process to get them to sign up. Right. And I was like, no, honey, it's called a waiting list. <laughs> it's called a waiting list. Right. And so David has 
has done a lot in his life. I'm not going to, I'm going to let him tell a story, but David owns, and it's a founder of over eight different, eight or nine different companies that I've, that I've seen him in. He's got his hands in a lot of stuff, right? Like, like he was telling me, you know, he's, he's been the, he's been on the board of directors for the San Francisco 49ers. I actually see the little 49ers thing in his background back there. You know, he's been a, a, on the advisory board for Google and all, all kinds of different things. I mean, we could probably, I, like David said, David needs to write a book, which we were talking about before he got on, right? He needs to write a book. So hopefully that'll be his next thing. He's a husband and father of four, two young ones and two older ones, I believe, uh, which, which is awesome. And at David's age, he's, you know, we won't go into our age. Uh, I have a birthday next week, next Wednesday, I'll be 53 years old. Uh, I don't feel 53 years old. Um, and, and, and I'm, and I, I was, I was messing with David yesterday. I was telling him, you know, I'm hitting the, I'm kind of hitting the golf ball like I did in my forties again, you know, and, uh, I didn't play so well today. I'll just say that I, I didn't play so well today. I shot 80 today, which for me, I'm usually in the seventies or sixties and today was not a good day. So I played a replica course of St. Andrews today over here in Orlando called Grand Cypress. Um, and it's hard. It's, it's it, the pop bunkers and the stuff they get to you, but so, uh, welcome to the Heatfluence Podcast, David Spizak. And David, thank you, brother. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you taking the time out just to, for us to get to know you. And I'm excited for my community. My my wife's like, are you interviewing David today? She's like, do you mind if we listen to it tomorrow night when I come home, after I get home? Because she's been, she's, my wife goes into rooms and she just sits and listens. She doesn't raise her hand. She doesn't ask many questions. And I said to her a couple of weeks ago, if there was five people that I could interview in the next couple months, I get goosebumps when I think about it. She, she said, she said, well, David would be one of them, right? You've already like done that. And then, and then David Meltzer, um, who my wife has built kind of a relationship with. She, my wife's very aggressive sometimes, but most of the time not. But when she met David Meltzer, she just kind of went over to him and said, hey, David, we have some mutual friends. And I'd like to get to know you. And he's like, okay, Lisa. And he like knew my wife's name already, right? And so that was kind of cool. So David, welcome, brother. I'm excited to get to hear you talk today. I feel like I already already know you well. And I feel like you gave me a master class before we got on. So thanks for being here, brother. Appreciate you. Having to be here. So um, tell me who is David Spizak. Tell me like where you came from. Like, you know, you I know you've been in the automotive industry. I know you've done a lot of things. Tell me a little bit about you and like where you've came from and things that you've done like in your life you like you said you've got grown-up kids you've got younger kids you've got an amazing beautiful wife like tell me some more about david uh well thank you appreciate you having me on um i, I think i've lived a lot of life in my 61 and a half years and um and like a lot of people you know it um, had a fair amount of obstacles and adversity especially in my younger years as a, as a kid growing up that was not an easy time, um, but luckily I, I had the ultimate shepherd in my, my mom and my faith. Uh, and uh, thanks to her, you know, we, we actually came through okay. Um, I was fortunate to have uh, two older uh, siblings and two younger siblings, and we remain very, very tight. Thankfully, they're still all around, and we were very tight in terms of our relationship. I'm very thankful for that. Um, you know, I, I, uh, going to college just was not on the cards for me, um, for a number of reasons, uh, due to the situation when I was younger and, uh, the best thing my father ever did, best gift he ever gave me or anybody was 
walking out on us. He just left one day, um, uh, sat us down on the, on the bed and looked at us little kids and said, Hey, I'm leaving because you're cramping my style. That was his parting words. And he just left, you know, and, um, and that was really, a turned out to be a, a, such a massive blessing, but you know, as kids are prone to do in those situations, my mom had to immediately go get a couple of jobs. She, she went to school at night and now you're on your own and uh, started acting out. And even though I had, you know, great grades at one time, you know, God bless me with a pretty decent brain, not the smartest guy in the world, but a decent brain, but, you know, squandered that a bit as of, um, in my desire, my need for whatever reason to act out. So I didn't put myself in a position to get an academic scholarship. God knows I didn't have the talent to get a athletic scholarship, although I played sports. This was not the upper echelon type of person in sports um, that I did. Um, and so, you know, I ended up um, going into the Navy. I enlisted myself in the Navy. Uh, was Thank the you best for your decision. service. Thank you. It was the best decision I ever made. I literally, in the midst of getting into you know, mischief and doing what teenagers do, I, by the grace of God, I just kind of grabbed myself by the back of the neck and I put myself in the car and I drove myself over the Bay Bridge to the enlistment office and I walked in the door and I said, I want to enlist. And um, one thing I could share with anybody who's got younger kids, if you walk into an enlistment office and say, I want to enlist, Nobody's talking you out of it. They just, oh, um, they're not. That closing ratio is just 100%. So uh, I did. I ended up serving in the United States Navy. Um, I'm proud that I did that. Um, and I learned a lot. I matured a lot. I learned a lot about life and about responsibility and about growing up and about discipline and about commitment and about camaraderie and teamwork, a lot of things that served me. And I got out of the Navy and they give you about a month, Michael, to find a job and they want you off their payroll. And uh, I think if I'm correct, I was making a cool $747 a month. And so um, I was happy to get off of their payroll. I, I thought I can get a job anywhere, make more than that. And I ended up looking in the classifieds as we did way back then um, before smartphones. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I found a job listing that said, a company car, these are the things that popped out at me. It said company car, sales position, income up to 45 grand a year, and, and a T&E account. And I was, you know, as David Meltzer would appreciate, um, you know, uh, you, know you, you had me at hello, right? So um, show me the money. Um, so I, I literally got into a taxi cab, didn't have a car, didn't own a thing. But I, I got in a taxi cab and I took a taxi down to this interview uh, that was about 40 minutes away. Where were you at and, at this time in your life, Dave? Were you in New York or what? No, I was in Treasure Island, which is the island in the middle of the Bay Bridge in, uh, that connects the East Bay with San Francisco. Okay. So I was on, I was on the island that back then was the, was the out-processing side of, of the military for the Navy. And so I jumped in the cab, got off the island, over the bridge, went down the freeway uh, for about a 40-minute trip. I, I went into this office. I remember the guy's name to this day, Harry McCandless, uh, bearded guy, nice guy. And he sat across the desk, leaning back, you know, foot up, classic, 
interviewing me for this position. And at the time, dealerships did not really have uh, what we refer to as finance departments today, F&I departments. But, but this company uh, was, was in the business of creating F&I departments for dealerships and selling uh, uh, service contracts, credit life disability, those types of products. So I interviewed for the job. Well, suffice it to say, Michael, I did so well, I drove away in the company car right out of the interview. He, gave, he handed me the keys across the desk and said, you got the job. So it was a baby blue Olds Cutlass with crushed <laughs> blue velour and a padded blue you know, quasi-synthetic leather, uh, what do you call, Landau roof, right? Yeah. Little window. And man, I was just straight balling, you know, <laughs> driving out of that thing. I went from having no car, making 700 bucks a month to having a TNE account. Didn't even know what that meant, but it just sounded good. Um, <laughs> and an opportunity to make money. And so I ended up, that was my foray into the car business. I spent the next 25 years in that business. Wow. Um, and, you know, I was never the smartest guy in the, in the room, but I can honestly say a uh, hand to God, I, I don't, I cannot think of anybody who outworked me or outhustled me or outstudied me. Um, you know, I mean, I was definitely in the rise and grind club, uh, as Glenn would say, way back in 1981. And so, you know, I put myself in a position within one year to become a manager and within a few years to become a GSM and within a few years of that to, to be running stores and then and ultimately elevate myself to being a dealer. And, um, and so at that time, you know, I, I got married very young, uh, 22 years old. Um, and, you know, our brains don't fully evolve. We don't, they don't fully form and evolve sure until the age of 25 so what the heck do you know when you especially especially if you're a male if you're a oh female if you're a female well, it, it 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 evolves a lot faster but if well, you're male, definitely if you had a, <laughs> if you're a female you know that evolution happens you know years ahead and if you're a male you could take 10 years off the chronological you know because i was probably you know, intellectually 13 yeah and uh but i got married and um we had a kid my daughter right away elise uh, was our first gift from God and then followed four years later by my son, Trey. And, um, and, you know, unfortunately that relationship did not work out. It was not storybook. Um, it was not horrible. There was no, you know, big, ugly fights. There was no uh, just terrible thing. And there's nothing you know, terrible about it. It just wasn't what it was supposed to be. And, um, and so we, we felt mutually uh, about 20 years later to part ways. And, um, and my daughter at the time was, was going on 20. And my son was going on 16. So the kids were pretty grown. My daughter was in college. And so it just was the right decision. And even though it was the right decision, if anybody's been in that situation, even if it's your decision, um, it's a brutal decision. It's brutal. And my parents, after going through that situation, you know, I was uh, just uh, devout in my belief, in my conviction that I was going to get married and just stay the course, man. I was just, I was going to ride that out to the end. Yep. And, no matter um, what, right? No matter what. But, you know, what came along and, um, you know, we just decided just, and I really stuck out once my daughter left and, you know, you're really there and you're ultimately 
close to empty nesters and it just wasn't working. It, it wasn't what it should be. And so she decided, I decided, well, let's part company and stay friends. And we were very mature about it. Uh, we didn't both hire attorneys and do the War of the Roses deal. You know, we hired one arbitrator. <laughs> yep. We divided everything up all by ourselves, had the arbitrator make sure that, uh, or one attorney make sure that everything was done right so that we didn't uh, come, come and find out to our horror 20 years later that we were still married. <laughs> we didn't want that to happen. So we did that and we parted ways and we're still friends to this day. Um, I had made the decision after that, in all honesty, at that point, Think about it. I'm Austin Powers. I hadn't dated in 20 some years. So when you haven't dated in that many years and you go back out in the ocean, it's like, it's a different world. It's just a different world, man. And I just, uh, I was so not okay with any of it. And um, so I waited months before I was even willing to do anything. I would just go out to dinner. I would sit at, at the bar area of a restaurant, have dinner by myself. I might pick up a great conversation with, with I did that too. a woman, you know, that was with, with that was by me. And, but with, there's no expectations. And then I, I actually tried match.com in its early days. And that was just horrific, horrific. <laughs> um, and, and I, and I, I became committed to being on some kind of panel or committee that would insist on some kind of rules and regulations when it came to dating apps, because there were just certain things like. Yeah, it's a lot better now than it used to be, right? Like my friend, my friend, my friend, my friend, Dr. Anith, him and his wife met on, uh, on match and they're, they're amazing. So yeah, things have changed a lot back then. I I hope so. I think, I mean, hopefully something changed because back then I was, lobbying for some kind of truth and profile act, you know, uh, TIPA, like, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's pretty bad, truthful. isn't it? I, right. it's pretty bad. You know, your, your photos, there should be a law that your photos should be from within the last five years. You know I mean? There should just be basic things or your photo has to be closer than 50 feet away. Yeah. I, sh- I shouldn't need a forensic scientist to be able to see who I'm supposed to be meeting up with. But long story boring. Most of that was just because of me and my own, uh, inhibitions or whatever, but it didn't work out. I went on three kind of match things and it was just horrible. Uh, it was terrible. Um, equally so I'm sure for the other people, because I just was so like awkward about the whole thing. And I was just became committed to the, uh, or resolved to the fact that I'm just going to stay single. You know, I, I had two really amazing kids. Um, I had four great siblings. I had an amazing mom. Uh, I had phenomenal friends and I had a startup company that I was fully focused on. And, you know, so there was the, this misunderstanding that single means that you're, you're alone and you're anything but alone. Right. Um, oftentimes. So, uh, and that was my plan. And then plans get interrupted. Life gets interrupted and thank God it did because my, a dear friend of mine uh, had a girl, his girlfriend had a friend who uh, they introduced me to, and uh, long story boring, you know, I, I asked her out, we went on a date and we have literally been together since that first date. We've never not been together since that very first date. And, um, you know, so I've been very fortunate. I was, I was blessed in so many ways by my wife, uh, Hania. And um, she's just an incredible human being, phenomenal family, incredible friends that are a reflection of her character, her integrity her work ethic, her belief system. 
And um, she's also happens to be a badass physician as well, hospital-based physician who's, um, you know, was with uh, patient zero here in Oregon with COVID and, and uh, came to the front lines for month after month, like every other um, physician or nurse that was uh, specializing in COVID. She was a COVID doctor. And so um, that's awesome. And uh, she did just, yeah, she's what I do just pales in comparison to what she does at my, home. My at wife's work. the same way. We have a lot, you and I have a lot in common. I, my, uh, my whole family was in the car business. Um, my uncle, um, who's going strong now at 93 years old, he's been married it. for 71 years. Okay. Yeah. He sold Woody Hayes, his last car before he passed away, the old Ohio State football nice. coach. Sure, of course. Who actually, because he sold my, my uncle sold him a car and I had committed to a scholarship, track scholarship at Ohio State, Woody came and spoke at my senior uh, track banquet and, and gave me my scholarship to Ohio State, which is, you know, super funny. And my, my, and my, my, my uncle was in the car business for probably 35, almost 40 years uh, before right. he retired. And uh, he's the one that taught me to love God and to be, to be a person of integrity. And, you know, D David, it's funny that you, as I see your humility, my, my, my pastor um, got up to speak a couple weeks ago and uh, his iPad went blank, <laughs> just died. Right. And he's like, I charged this thing up today. Right. And so he went into talking about his relationship with his ex-wife and how now they all do you know, holidays together and like how now his, his other two daughters, you know, that he had with his previous wife are like best friends with his current wife and just how that humility and, and realizing, Hey, he looked at himself and saw what he had did, you know, where, where he failed. And he made a promise that in his next relationship that he would be better. Right. And I think anytime we go through something like you said, that we think is just going to last forever. Right. Like, Whenever I need marriage advice, I just look at my 90, my married 70 year old aunt and uncle, and I was like, what type of example did they set? Right. And I think when we learn from those things, um, it's, it's, it's super, super important. So I have a question. Yes, um, tell me if, uh, uh, tell me a little bit about sales, because one of the things that I think I told David this before, you know, and I said it earlier, like, I hated sales. Like I just thought sales was, I, I, I'd be honest with you. Some of my best friends owns car dealerships. My friend, Paul Loki owns one of the largest Nissan dealerships in Clearwater, Florida. And every year, cause I used to coach him, uh, when, when, um, at the gym, when I ran all the gyms in Clearwater, he always gives us a great deal every year. So he just says, when your lease is up, just come over trade your other one in. You don't have to put anything down and I'll just give you my cost. So we kind of just, that's how we do it. Right. But I obviously know that there is, you know, sales is important. And so for me, when, if, if I'm, if I'm new at sales, what are some of the most important things that you do from a sales standpoint that allows you to cater to your target audience, like people that you're able to do. And even in the car business, obviously, if you were in the car business for 25 years, it, it, you know, at that, and, and that you must have been really good at selling cars or you wouldn't have got everything that you got. So, what are some things that you do and what you teach 
because I got my pencil here and my piece of paper and I'm going to learn because I'm going to go back and watch this again with my wife because she's like, you have to ask David about sales. Every time I hear him talk, I want to go sell something, right? And my wife doesn't sell. <laughs> so, well, you know, we could start there though because, yeah. you know, people, especially people that, people that aren't in sales positions, or some people that even are in sales positions but are not comfortable with it. Um, you tend to hear a lot of disparaging comments about sales. Um, you know, there's there's a negative stigmatisms associated with, it, and I understand where some of them come from. But you know, the reality is is that everybody sells. Your pastor sells. Your pastor is trying to raise money for the church. You can't do that without selling. Your pastor is trying to sell people. I hate to use the word, but he's trying to, trying to convince, trying to open people up in their mind and in their hearts to the word of God, right? And becoming more faithful uh, for themselves, their family, their community. And there's, that's a form of selling that's going on. Um, you know, if you're you know, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, girlfriend, any kind of a, a partner out there um, in any kind of relationship, there is selling going on. Absolutely. You don't play golf for all these years without doing a little selling at home. Right. Um, oh yeah. And Been so going for four hours. <laughs> yeah. So the reality is, is that the first thing is, is people need to really think about the fact that we are constantly in a situation where we are selling ourselves. When you're in an interview, you're selling yourself. Um, second thing is get rid of the negative uh, images or negative stigmatisms, uh, because where those come from is from a simple statement. And the statement is this, people hate to be sold, but they love to buy. Everybody loves to buy, but everybody hates to be sold. Well, there's a secret in there, right? So if you help me buy something, I'm going to have a positive uh, experience. I'm going to have a positive feeling about you um, because I don't feel like you sold me. I felt like you helped me buy. And within that is, is the core of what I really start with and teach people is you never want to go out with an intention. I don't care if it's in your relationship. I don't care if it's in a nonprofit. I don't care if it's in your church. I don't care if it's a school fundraiser or whether you're selling cars or anything else. Your role and your focus and your intention, your purpose is not to sell somebody, nor should it be, but rather to help him or her solve a problem or achieve a goal. It's that simple. When somebody, when you find yourself in that situation, somebody's either trying to achieve a goal or they're trying to solve a problem. And typically when it's in a product or solution, product or service context, they're typically trying to solve a problem. Something happened. Their current solution isn't working for them anymore. That, that you know, 12-year-old refrigerator, you know, that eight-year-old car, um, maybe they want to change insurance because they've been watching progressive commercials with Flo and they are convinced that she could bundle them into a savings, you know, that they're not getting now. Maybe it's a better situation with a different bank or credit union. Maybe it's a different mortgage, whatever it might be. But they're trying to solve a problem. And your job 
is to assist them simply in finding the solution to that problem. And so when you look at it from that standpoint, you could circle back with what you said at the outset. You know, what's at the core of me is a servant heart, you know, is a servant attitude. And so I like serving people. So why would I not be great at sales? Because if I understand that, and I simply went out with the focus of what the great Zig Ziglar said is, you can get everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want in life. And that's just simply all I did, right? Is I'd go out there with the intention of really understanding uh, not just what was the product or service you're looking for, but what was the felt dissatisfaction you had in your current situation? What motivated or inspired you to walk into my store or walk into an insurance agent or walk to a different real estate broker, whatever? What is it that inspired or motivated you? And a lot of times a customer will walk up to you and they'll say, you know, uh, this is what I have right now. And I really like it. There's the things I like about it. All right. Well, but nobody ever walked out with the thought of replacing something they liked. So there's, there's more to that story, as a great Paul Harvey used to say. And so in that position or that situation, you know, my response is going to be, Michael, tell me more. I want to really understand what is it that you really love about your current car, your current insurance policy, your current a real estate agent, your current uh, whatever it might be, widget. And you'll say, well, I love this, this, and this. Great. Now, may I ask you a question? Those are not the reasons you're standing in front of me, clearly. So I would love to know. What actually motivated you, drove you, inspired you? That despite the fact that you have a couple of things that you loved, but it's not delivering, it's not getting the job done in other areas. What are those things that's not really working for you anymore? And now you've simply told me two things. That's all I need to know to help you solve the problem. You've told me what's not working, what problem you have, what pain point you have, what you need to solve. And you've also given me context, valuable context, that I want to solve the problem, but I want to do it within these parameters. Now, all I need to do is really focus on the next thing. And what you need to do is now focus on how does that person want to buy? You know, what is their MO? What's important to them? And I've been teaching people that there's two groups of people, two types of buyers out there either time over money or money over time. When somebody values time over money, they typically have more money than time. Or even if they don't make a ton of money, oftentimes when I say time over money, somebody will say, oh, that must be a top one percenter. No, it's not. Oftentimes it could be somebody who's making 40 or 50 or 80 grand, but they don't have any time. They got four kids at home. I don't have the luxury of time. Maybe they're a single mom or a single parent, I don't know, but that's where their brain is versus somebody else who values money over time. And, and I'll show you the difference between the two. The people that value time over money are the same people that will order an, a $12 sandwich or a $10 sandwich via Grubhub or Postmates and have it delivered with a $9 fee. 
That's how much they value time. They just paid double for their sandwich and they're not even going to blink about it. Right. Nope. So versus the other people that value money over time, the, the quintessential example or illustration of that, that group of people is the black Friday crowd. <laughs> yes. Uh, listen, I really want to save a hundred dollars on a TV. So my Wait plan, line for my plan hours. is going to, I'm going to load up on Turkey, like no tomorrow. Right. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that Turkey has that chemical. Everybody says Al tryptophan. Has, right. Tryptophan. So yeah. I'm going to load up on that because I'm going to need to sleep through the night in 40 degree weather to save a hundred dollars in front of the Best Buy store or the Walmart. <laughs> Those people, that's a classic. When they're 10 and they're 10. Right? Yeah. That's a money over time kind of a person. Right. Now, if, if I'm a money over time and you treat me the opposite or I'm time over money, if you don't understand that, acknowledge that and respect that, we're probably not going to have a connection, right? The second thing is I already know what my pain points are, but chances are this product that you're going to sell me, not only will it solve those pain points, but it may also provide me additional value through undiscovered strengths. What do I mean by that? Undiscovered value. That means that I didn't realize that on top of this, it would also do this and this as well. Now, if I simply recite the features and benefits of my washer and dryer, and I simply approach you using the same presentation, I am essentially selling toilet paper and using a toilet paper commodity type of an approach. What do I mean by that? Well, you're going to go to three or four different appliance places. You're going to see the same pitch. In fact, even if they're different brands, the reality, Michael, is that even if you line up three different brands, they have at least 75% overlap in their features, right? So from a buyer's perspective, it's kind of same, same. The presentation, same, same. So what I got to do now is I got to differentiate me and differentiate my product, which means I have to have enough product knowledge where I can understand it so well that I could provide you with undiscovered or unrealized strengths or benefits that you are not aware of, that chances are my counterparts or competition is not going to know about. And the second thing is I need to elevate myself to being a trusted advisor instead of a salesperson. So it just means that I need to treat you with dignity. I need to treat you with respect. I need to be able to help you solve your problem in a way that's consistent with what gets you to where you need to go. And last but not least, I need to understand that there's going to be logic that's applied and emotion that's applied in this final decision, right? Because the thing is, I might fall in love with that car. I might fall in love with that digital washer dryer. I, might, I hope I don't, but I might fall in love with whatever it is. I'm going to fall in love with that new smartphone, that new tablet, whatever it might be. God knows it has a plug. I'm sure it has a plug. If somebody's falling in love with the product today. It probably has some kind of a plug, right? Uh, we're not falling in love with low tech things. It was the last time somebody fell in love with a tire. So, Anyways, but if, 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 so they cost so much money nowadays, nobody wants to fall in love with a tire because they freaking cost a fortune nowadays. Yeah. So the thing is, is that you can see through this process, I need to be able to understand why you may fall in love, be emotional. The number one reason you won't buy is budget related. I didn't say price. I said Budget. budget. And a lot of salespeople mistake the two. They think, oh, it's pricing. I got to reduce my price, reduce my price, reduce my price. Here's what they don't understand. 50%, 50% of 
of the prospects that happen to walk into a store or call up an agency or walk into a dealership, 50%. They don't buy from your competition. They don't buy from you. They don't buy from anybody. 50% end up not making a decision. Now, why is that? Well, the number one reason is budget, not price. So the thing is that how do I overcome that? Well, I need to understand the logical and the emotional. The emotional is the features, the benefits. And man, Michael, when you have this, this is going to change everything for you. Let me show you three ways it's going to make your life more efficient. Let me show you two ways it's going to save you money. Okay, that's that part of it. Okay, but I also have to have the logical side too, where I tell them a powerful story, a before and after that allows them to feel confident that that decision is going to be logically prudent and justified. And if I could do all of those things together, and one more thing, if I can face the facts and come to the realization that I shouldn't have a fear of failure because failure is a key to success. Failure, rejection, Rejection is the key to massively increasing your results and your income. You see, the top sellers in any profession get more rejection than anybody else, right? Like the top home run hitters probably struck out more than anybody else. Yep. So Michael Jordan McGuire missed 9,000 shots. Michael yep. Jordan missed 9,000 shots. You can't miss 9,000 shots unless you're taking a lot of shots, right? You sure can't become Michael Jordan unless you're taking probably at least twice as many shots. as that. So, you know, that's the thing is I think people oftentimes have such a misunderstanding uh, of selling, of the process of selling and the service. It's actually a service you're providing. Service-based business, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not something you're doing to somebody. You're doing it for them. You're doing it for somebody. All right. That's the difference. All right. So last question, five minutes, last five minutes. Here's what I want to ask you this question because this, I'm going to be selfish today. Okay. My wife said, honey, you have to be selfish every once in a while and in, in, in a good manner. Right. So if you're somebody like me who is bulletproof in those areas that you talked about and they, how did, how did they transition to the close of asking the person to sign up right then and there, instead of sending them an invoice or saying, I'll send you a bill or whatever. What? Because that's my issue. Like I'd, I'd make more than four or five hundred. I'd make a, I'd make seven figures rather than making a half a million a year. If I just closed people on high ticket clients. And now I have a financing company that's helping me with that, which makes it a lot easier. But even like right now, I have a client after you at 515. I know who is a world-class athlete. Okay. And she struggled with some stuff from COVID and from the vaccine. And she's known three people that I've worked with. And she's like, I want you to help me. And I said, okay, let's get on the phone on Friday. I, I, my feet, and I, I'm going to say it's fear. I don't know if it's really fear, but you've kind of talked me out of that a little bit since our talk, but how do you transition into asking that person to sign up then and there when you're on, when you're on the call with them? Well, again, I'm going to invert things a bit, right? Because again, you're, you're thinking, okay, now I'm coming to that big uh, culmination, you know, and now I have to ask for the order. And, you know, somebody could say, David, Hey, I've figured out all the other stuff. You know, I can have the confidence and I'll serve somebody else. And I've overcome my fear of rejection, but they're not asking for clothes, which means you haven't. 
right? That's the report card. So, and the thing you got to ask yourself is, you know, what kind of disservice am I doing this human being if I don't? You know, what, how are they going to be negatively impacted if I don't? You know, and the reality is, is that um, chances are a couple of things. First of all, I would say this, a lot of people mistake, they think that the close is getting somebody to say one big yes. And that's not true. The reality is, and scientifically you can validate this, it's been validated, that it's really a series of yeses, right? So based on your sales approach, as you're going through the process, as I shared with you, right? So let's just say you're looking for a new roadcaster, right? A new system for your, your podcasting studio. And I'd say, let me ask you something, Michael. So what, what, are the, what are a couple of the features that you really loved about what I showed you on the roadcaster? And then how would that help you in your business? And you'd say, oh my God, I really love the fact that I could connect it wirelessly to my phone. I can control the music. I can instantly convert it to a podcast without having to do any production. Great, great, great. Okay, and so essentially you're saying, this is gonna help you tremendously to save a ton of time, is that right? You say yes. And I say, great. And that sounds to me like that's going to allow you to be able to, in turn, have more time to generate a lot more revenue. Is that right? Yes. Right. And each time I'm getting you to say yes, it turns out that if I can get you to say yes six times to meaningful things, okay, the yes at the end is a foregone conclusion. Okay. It's not, I don't even, and frankly, I've earned the right. You got to ask yourself, have I earned the right to ask for that final yes at that time? But it's not one big yes. It's just the sixth or the seventh or the eighth yes I've gotten in this conversation. And I'll tell you, it's amazing how many times people will be in front of salespeople and they'll say, Dave, they did such an amazing job, but then they never asked me to buy. It's, it's, it's astonishing. It's disappointing to them. And you know all you did? You got them all revved up. And they're going to walk somewhere else and buy something. And I was sharing this with the people in the class today. We're very interesting people. We all have our own process to get to the decision, but we're common in one, one area. Once we make the decision, when do we want it, Michael? Now. Now. I don't want to hear you got to order it. I don't want to wait 12 weeks for my couch. I don't want to wait a month for a car for you to locate one for me. So many of the people will figure out either a different place to buy that car, or a different place to get that roadcaster, a different place to order that furniture because we want it right now, right? So if you get me to that point where I'm saying yes, and she's convinced because she knows people you've worked with, she understands what the positive outcome was, right? Then you're actually doing her a disservice. You're doing yourself a serious disservice at that point because all you did is just kind of rev up that person's mind going, man, I really need somebody to coach. You know, but I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have room. Maybe he's, maybe he's got too many clients. That's the way somebody's going to look at it. So you just got to pivot it. And again, you're not doing something to them. I'm not trying to extract money from you. I'm delivering a value for you to solve a problem that you could get off your plate right now. And by the way, Mike, I'm going to ask you something. If you're that person, listen, you mentioned to me, you've got these frustrations, you got these dissatisfactions, you got these things you want to work through, and you've got a problem you want to solve. Here's my question. Michael, what timeline have you given yourself 
for wanting to get that off your plate, for wanting to solve that problem, for wanting to eliminate those pain points that you're dealing with right now? What is the timeline to fix that problem? And you're going to say, I, 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 now, I want to know. Great. Well, why don't we go ahead and I'll get you started and I'll send you something via DocuSign or I'll do this and let's get started. Now, do you want to start, Michael? Let me ask you something because I want to make sure I'm deferring to you. You want to start, typically, do you want to do in the mornings or afternoon and do you prefer early or later in the week? Which is better, early in the week or later next week? You're going to say one of the two. Either one's a yes. Later in the week. Great. And do you prefer mornings? Or mornings. Late in the mornings. Great. Okay. So I've got something available at seven. Some people like to start really early. And I've also got something at 10. Which one works best for you? Seven. I never asked you. Let's go. Let's go. I already know what the challenges are. I know what your problems are. I know what you want to fix. You told me when you wanted to fix it. Let's go. Perfect. Perfect. So, David, thank you. Tell, do me a favor before we, before we close. Tell me how people can connect with you uh, and learn from you because uh, I, I, just, I just said to David, like, I didn't even know he's every other week, Friday, he's having a, a, a coach. I'm going to put it in my schedule so that I can, every other Friday, thank I can you. learn more from him. Uh, but how you. can people connect with you more and, and learn more so, from you? So, you could find me on Clubhouse. Um, I'm on Breakfast with Champions at um, 9.30 to 10.30 Eastern every Wednesday. I'm on with Brian Benstock and Glenn Lundy uh, every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern time during the biggest sales meeting uh, in the country. Um, and I will also every other Friday, if somebody hits me on Instagram, follow me on Instagram. Uh, but if you just look at Instagram, I've got a, a uh, in my DMs. If you go to message me, just message the word coach or coaching, and you will immediately receive access, which is free. Uh, the class is free. There's no upgrade that any, any I'm not selling anything. I'm no upsell. <laughs> I'm just giving back. And, and every other week, we're focusing on a different area of business or on life or on relationships, whatever it might be. But if you want to learn how to raise capital, if you want to learn how to start a company, if you want to learn how to accelerate sales, if you want to learn how to create more meaningful relationships, if you want to learn how to elevate your network, you always hear that cliche, your network is your net worth. Cliches are cliches because they're true, right? And so anything that you could think of, real world, real life, real conversation, uh, unrehearsed uh, with a great group of people, and I also um, just created a, a Facebook group. It's uh, David Spizak's community, um, David Spizak's S community on Facebook groups. Uh, we just launched that today and already had a, a bunch of people sign up. And um, so Instagram, Spizak, D-S-P-I-S-A-K-D, you can look me up. Uh, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, uh, every other Friday uh, on the coaching class. And anywhere and any, any, any time or anywhere else that I could find the time to serve somebody, to help take them from where they are to where they want to be, that's where you'll find me. Awesome. Well, I say this to end all our podcasts. The only way you, and you guys will see all of what David, uh, my podcast uh, editor, uh, Don Gatson, will put all these in the notes for you guys when you go to, to listen. And the only way people get to know David is that the, if you reach out, and you take action. The difference between wisdom and knowledge is action, 
right? You, you listen, you hear. I took three pages of notes and uh, I'm going to implement them. I'm not going to just be a hearer. Like the Bible says, don't be just a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Don't just listen and don't take the action. So I say this as we close every time, um, love God, love people and live with passion and vision and servanthood. That's what will get you far in life. And so God bless you guys till the next episode. Thanks for listening to the HeFluence podcast. Have Thank a you. great rest of your day. Thanks Bye-bye. for having me. Thank you for listening to the HeFluence podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. And as always, you can follow Michael on all social media platforms at Michael David Huey or www.michaeldavidhuey.com. Until next time, God bless and take care.